Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to the show. This is Paradox and I am Josh. I'm Jimmy. And we are excited to have Brian Loritz on the show. Brian, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Brian is the lead pastor of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Silicon Valley. Or just First Google is another name that they go by. <laughs> first first yeah, Google. First Google Church. First Google Fellowship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. He also, Loritz was also recently voted one of the top 30 emerging Christian leaders by Outreach Magazine. Brian's latest book is entitled Insider Outsider, A Journey as a Stranger in White Evangelicalism and My Hope for Us All. Brian, tell us about the book. Yes, um, it is a book that I hope will um, leave the reader feeling deeply encouraged and hopeful. I think so many, um, so many people during this time have just gone, man, this is, these are pretty divided times across the spectrum. And uh, I didn't want to just write uh, another book on race. So many of them tend to be didactic in their approach and point by point, step by step. Um, this is a different book. It is a book that's kind of a memoir uh, about my own experiences and along the way in the narrative that is my life. Uh, I just point out some things to consider um, and and offer a pathway forward. So um, so far, the reviews have just been incredible. Uh, people said things like read it in one sitting. It's really sim- simple, easy to read. Um, the average chapter, I'd say, is about three pages. But it is, I mean, we get into the weeds on some things. And um, so I, I just want to pull people on my journey as an African-American man who has spent a lot of time uh, with uh, my white evangelical friends and talk to them about the fact that when it comes to Christianity, there is no ethnic home team. And what does it look like to create an us space? You know, it's, as you mentioned, I, you know, I'm pushing 60 now, and I... I don't remember a time that we were this polarized. I mean, I was little during the Vietnam stuff, but I, I just don't remember a time with this kind of tribalism and it's us against them in, in virtually every aspect of, of, of society. In this type of polarized environment, is racial healing even possible? N- not without the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, not without the gospel, which is a foundational point that I, I lift up in my, in my book and, 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 and hear me, the divisiveness is on either side. It's right versus left and left versus right. Um, so I'm not here to say who's more culpable. Um, but you know, one of the things I'm so grateful that Jimmy, I'm not gonna call you Jimbo like your son does, which is amazing. <laughs> um, I'll answer but one of the things though, is, you know, I'm grateful to Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement because of what they did. Man, I can swim in any public swimming pool I want. Uh, my kids can go to any public school they want to go to. Um, but while the Civil Rights Movement could change laws, it couldn't change hearts. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, racism is a heart issue. 
And I think that's where the hope and beauty of the church has got to come and not government. Not that we're anti-government or we're, I'm not saying we don't need to be engaged. We should be engaged. But at the end of the day, as I tell my church, I've got a problem with Christians who are a member of a political party, but not a member of the local church. It's one of the things I say in, in the book. Woo! Pastor, that'll preach. You're saying my hope is in government, not the church. And that's mm-hmm. that's the problem. So you've hinted at this, um, just part of your story, feeling like an insider and an outsider in the white evangelical church. So you've hinted at that. Tell us a little bit more about your experiences growing up in white evangelicalism. So I think it's important. Um, I, I wrote an article once um, to a bunch of leaders, and, and, and the title of the article is, White is Not a Four-Letter Word. And I just hate the way so many people in our culture today use that term. Uh, in an age of diversity, it's just come to mean something bad. So I want to be careful to say that I don't use it that way at all. Um at the end of the day, as an African-American, you know, my, my, my parents uh, for years, 28 years, served on the staff of what's now known as CRU, Camps Crusade for Christ. Um, and so because of that, I grew up uh, going to these white college Christmas conferences. Uh, I grew up in a very white evangelical space, and I don't attach any moral equivalent there. So the, African part, uh, the African-American part of me felt like an outsider, a minority in these conferences and events. But the insider part of me was that we both shared a profound affinity for the gospel. So that's why it's called insider-outsider. I I feel like an insider in that we share this incredible common theme of the cross and the empty tomb. But as an outsider, I feel that because ethnically, I just felt as if my white evangelical friends never put forth a concerted effort to draw me in and to say, you are deeply a part of us in the same way that the Jewish church did in the book of Acts. They started out very Jewish, but the leaders of the church, as Gentiles were coming in, Acts chapter 15, they said, look, there's no ethnic home team here. The only thing that matters is, are you committed to Jesus Christ and pursuing holiness? If that's the case, then circumcision doesn't matter. That was huge. That was huge. And I'm just saying we need to reciprocate and do the same thing here in the United States and in the West. You know, you write in the book a lot about the history of white evangelicals in America, and Christians across the board a lot of times will will tell non-believers, you know, hey, would you stop with the uh, the Crusades? Okay, fine. The witch trials, the Crusades, got it. We made some mistakes. That's ancient history. Let's move on. Well, you have some in the the white evangelical church today going, yeah, Jim Crow not so good during the you know the the slavery days and the the taking land from the Indians not so good. We didn't come out in a in a good light. However, ancient history. Why do we have to bring that up today? Why is the history of the the church in America? Why is it important to bring up today? Well, yeah, I, I think I think the the disconnect and disequilibrium some of the white readers may uh, may intuitively feel with this book is, and Dr. Robert D'Angelo says that she's a white PhD who wrote an incredible book called White Fragility. She points out that the disconnect between minority communities and white communities is that minority communities see themselves in solidarity with others of their own ethnicity. White, my white brothers and sisters don't see themselves as a collective whole. Instead, they see themselves as a group of individuals. 
Mm-hmm. So therefore, when an African-American person gets killed by a white police officer, the whole African-American community grieves over that. And we stand in solidarity. I don't, I don't think white people, by and large, necessarily have that sense of communal affinity as it relates mm-hmm. to white people Correct. in general. Mm-hmm. So that's the disconnect that I want you to mm-hmm. see. And because of that, uh, Chris, uh, uh, in the book Divided by Faith, um, these white sociologists point out that conservative white evangelicals have never really um, uh, had a strong desire as it relates to identifying with and taking down systemic injustice. The narrative is injustice is more personal, not mm-hmm. systemic. Mm-hmm. And so we wade into these two very vast different perspectives, mm-hmm. and we try to bring some understanding into them. As a lead pastor of a multi-generational and multicultural church there in Silicon Valley, how have you seen black and white Christians engage in meaningful conversations? Well, I'm still getting my arms around it out here. Um, you know, the, what's interesting out here, the God out here is gold and production. So it's almost like we could care less what color you are, because the real color that matters here is green. If you can make green. So remember, when when people first came to the United States, they came for religious reasons on the East Coast. When they first came to the West Coast, they came for gold and they made huge sacrifices. And the new gold here is the tech world. So um but but the, where that bites us out here when it comes to ethnicity is this is kind of a colorblind society where we want to ignore each other's pain and ethnicity, and we see each other in very utilitarian terms here in the Bay. So as long as you can produce and help me make my bottom line, that's important. And then let me go back, Jim, to finish up. Uh, I don't think I completely answered your question as it relates to why is it important to have this history Because the history of America, which is one that's deeply colored by racism, it's not like a history channel that you can just turn off. That history continues to reverberate today. So one of the analogies I use in the book, right in the opening chapter, is that it's impossible to do theology or study the Bible or interpret the Bible completely objective. So Mm -hmm. we all bring our unique biases to the text. Not you all, we all. So as a black man, like I can't disrobe my blackness when I come to the text. So I, I get excited when I hear things like, oh, Moses married a Cushite. She's an African woman. She's a black woman. Wow, Moses married a black woman. Or Jesus was an immigrant. <laughs> he fled to Egypt mm-hmm. and lived there for, for several years. Uh, I, I see racism in Daniel chapter 6. Is Here you have this Jew who is um, uh, experiencing racism from his Gentile colleagues because they're jealous that he's moving so rapidly up the corporate ladder. These are things I see. I, I nursed a low-grade fever with Paul. I wanted to be far more vociferous in denouncing institutions of slavery when he writes the master-slave passages. I don't like that. Now, th- this is just natural. I see it as a black person. Mm-hmm. So all of us have what I call a theological accent. Mm-hmm. But like accents in the natural, I don't think I have an accent, mm-hmm. right? I, I think I talk normal and wonder why everybody doesn't talk normal the way I talk normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, but if I went to a foreign country, that person would assume I talk different. So accents tend to be judged by the home team. Because of that, white evangelicalism carries an accent. 
But the problem is not that it carries an accent, but because it has been in the seat of power historically here in the United States of America, its conclusions, its hermeneutical biases have been normalized as the standard by which everybody else must be vetted. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. And so to balance this out, we need to learn how to do theology in community, a point I bear out in the book Insider Outsider. Okay, so in my opinion, it's just really sort of gross that you now have the white evangelical church is now virtually part and parcel with the Republican Party. And the black church is that part and parcel with the Democratic Party. So it's it's as though this 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 accent has taken on a a societal political bent to it that I'm not sure necessarily if, if it if it, it existed in the past I don't know that it was so out in front just because of social media and everything how did we end up with with the church dividing itself along national political boundaries yeah so what you know I do a whole section in the book called Trump, and it is looking at, at Donald Trump um, through the lens, hopefully, of, of Jesus Christ. Um, and one of the things I say in this chat, in this section, is that politics is a sport played by the subjective. So we, we all approach the ballot box with our unique desires and wants. And the reason why, after, you know, African Americans historically started out as Republican, that was because of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, we, we named our kids in mass Abraham um, just because he was that beloved. Well, then what happened is here you have in 1964, 1965, Lyndon Johnson, he signs the Civil Rights Act, Voting Rights Act. These are huge monumental sweeps that benefited the African-American community. Um, and at the same time, it disgruntled a bunch of Southern Democrats to the point where come 1980, most of the South, which in 1956 was Democrat, had now swung Republican. And again, there's a lot of nuance within that. But what I want you to see is politics reveals our biases. And so a lot of people become Democrat, maybe because they are coming from an impoverished background and Democrats historically have done some things for those who are poor. Again, we can debate this all day long. A lot of people who are Republican, there's financial considerations that go along with that, along with some moral considerations. I think at the end of the day, we have to admit the kingdom of God. God doesn't write, as Tony Evans says, God doesn't ride the backs of donkeys or elephants. Although... I said at my church once here in California, and a lady pulled me to the side and said, Pastor, that's not true. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, what was he writing? <laughs> so we, we chuckled a little bit tongue-in-cheek on that. But, but at the end of the day, we have to admit, we got to check a box and say, the kingdom of God cannot be fully encompassed by the Republican agenda or the Democrat agenda. Okay, rest easy and breathe. Just, just breathe. And I think you pray about it. And you you vote your your conscience, but at the end of the day, I do think um, Donald Trump. Be careful how I say this. I talk a lot about in the book. I think Donald Trump has hurt the evangelical brand. Some would say that's good because we needed to get disentangled from it. Uh, others would, of course, disagree with that. I'm not talking about his policies. I'm just talking about his behavior. I don't think that's a good representation of who Jesus Christ is. 
And I don't think it's a good rep- representation of who we as believers are. Now, let me just say one thing, one more thing, a point that I make in the book. I want to be careful here because even though 81% of all evangelicals voted for Trump, I think many of them went to the, 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 the voters booth holding their nose and they chose to vote a party over person because they knew there were some Supreme Court picks that were coming up, which is huge important. So I, I want to be careful. I think statistics don't tell the whole truth. I mean, such an important work, uh, particularly within our culture as race relations are kind of going haywire, but particularly race relations within the church. I mean, that's of supreme importance because, you know, to to, to use your kind of words and language, like we're going to, it's not going to be politics that's leading the change. It's got to have to be the church and specifically the gospel. So very important work as, as people run out by insider outsider. What do you want them walking away with, and what are kind of the action steps from the book, uh, how they can apply it to their lives? Yeah, so I, I want people to be hopeful and incredibly encouraged that this can happen, that the ball is moving forward. You know, in the early 2000s, uh, there only 2.5% of all Protestant churches were multi-ethnic. Now, in a recent study, that number is close to 14%. So even though we have a long way to go, the needle is moving. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talk about some hopeful ways in which we can do that. Uh, A part of it has to do with uh, awareness and understanding who I am. Um, And, you know, I I, want to be careful to say I hate the phrase white privilege. I talk some about it in the church, in in the book. Uh, Privilege isn't the problem. If it was, then Jesus would have been sinful. Jesus was the most privileged person to have ever walked the face of the earth. He was he was God in the flesh. The issue is not privilege, it's the stewardship of privilege. And so once I understand, okay, I've got some privilege, I believe every person has a measure of privilege. Uh, my parents have been married for 47 years. That's a measure of privilege I have. Yeah. All right, so the question on the table is, how do I steward faithfully what God has entrusted to me? And right at the last section of the book, we get into some helpful ways that we can do that, empowering others, um, you know, making sacrifices, uh, coming alongside and looking at some strategic uh, techniques that will help to produce a multi-ethnic church, which I believe is the hope of the world. Listen, Pastor, um, we don't do this very often, but <laughs> you need to know that you made our Hall of Fame as being one of the favorite guests we've ever had on. <laughs> and Hold on just a second. Therefore, it's, when Jimbo starts playing that song, it's kind of wheels off. Sorry about that. I'm just saying the next time you're in Austin, expense paid to Enchiladas Imas. On Jimbo. It's, it's on us. Again, as we've told other guests, you have to get here and Uber to the restaurant. But once you're there, <laughs> then it's all expenses paid. Enchiladas no, no, Imas no, no, on no, us. No, 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 no. I want torchies. I want torture. <laughs> Spoken by someone who has not been to Enchiladas Imas. <laughs> Is that better than Torchies? Oh, my Lord. Not even oh, the yeah, same league. Now. I mean, they're both Austin institutions, so. Are you in Austin very often? Uh, I am not. Although, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you guys, Austin's the only city I like in Texas. It's the only one. Yeah, well, it's the most unlike Texas city in Texas. <laughs> I can believe that. <laughs> we appreciate it thank you Brian, for being here thank you so much thank you guys appreciate you okay i want to go to his church <laughs>
Sure. You would be a white person there. And feel very comfortable. And you could talk to not other white people. You would ignore all other white people. Absolutely. They're privileged. And only... Remember, he, up, 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 up. he doesn't, doesn't like white privilege, the terminology. I know. What he has to say is important, and here's, here's what's important about it. He is saying it in a manner, in, in, in a language. He's, he's using Christian evangelical language to talk about this. And so it's not going to be what you hear on CNN or on Fox. He's speaking in a language that, that Christian evangelicals can understand what he's saying and appreciate what he's saying and how he's saying it. Because what he's saying is critical. I, I, I just, because the, you know, the, the white church and the black church has, have been so now uh, affiliated with political parties, I mean, there's there's just a level of dislike and hate and disagreement that has never existed before. This book is really important. Please go get it. I love. We didn't even get to a, a quote here, but he in the book he says, "We will never experience true Christian unity when one ethnicity demands of another that we keep silent about our pain." Mm-hmm. He's speaking ethnicity here, but that's also true of gender or really any other mm-hmm. potential difference out there. Mm-hmm. But true Christian unity comes through just listening. That's his point with that, is it's listening to the other person and not demanding that we're listened to and our positions listened to. So fantastic book, Insider Outside. You can find more information about Brian at his socials. It is at B.C. Loritz, at B.C. Loritz, and Loritz is L-O-R-I-T-T-S. You can also we'll have links on our website. It's paradoxpodcast.com if you want more information about this episode or anything previous. You can also find our socials there. We appreciate you guys for listening. Hey, one more thing before we get gone. I think we need to do a Paradox Live remote from Enchiladas y Mas. They've got that side room. We could pack it with fans because, what, 12, 13 chairs mm-hmm. could fit in that side room? Mm-hmm. I think we should do that. Well, if we had 10 people, then... You know, I was actually thinking about that recently, by the way. About uh, having we, a live remote from Enchilada Zimas? Yeah, we haven't shared that with one another until this moment, but I was thinking the same thing. So maybe it's the spirit in both of us. Maybe. But if we only had 10 to actually have it pay for itself, like Billy's time, and we'd probably want some special guests potentially, but we'd have to like charge $1,000 a seat. So I don't so know. So we would... Might, yeah, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> That might stunt the number of people deciding to And attend. it would just be two. Just, and Billy wouldn't even come. Yeah, and there would be $10,000 a ticket. <laughs> See right. you guys. Take care. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. We're going to be talking gluttony, which is very appropriate for the week after Thanksgiving. Yep. So if you overeat this past week, then start to feel real bad about yes. yourself. Because Jimbo and I Weight Watchered through all of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just had a protein shake. Yep. I would have had some romaine lettuce, but there is no romaine. No, we can't eat that stuff. Everyone is on a romaine holiday.